morning, Calvary. If we've never met, my name is Thomas, and it's my joy to be able to gather in this room with you as we draw near to the Lord. That's what we're doing. We, we draw near to the Lord and ask him to teach us his ways, that we might be encouraged, that we might be built up, strengthened, corrected, directed in all of these things. And at times, I don't know if I'm the only one, at times I find it really hard to be a Christian. I don't know about you, but it's hard to hold on to some of these truths in the culture in which we live, in which our kids go to school, in which we are live, work, and play in. And not only just is it hard to be a Christian sometimes, I don't want to just wear a badge that says Christian, but I want to be a disciple. And a disciple just simply means pupil or student, and that means that someone who follows the teachings or the ways of Jesus as the master. And so I don't want to just know about these things. I want to practice these things. And we've been in this series going through the gospel of Luke of looking at Jesus's life, death and resurrection, all that he taught and did. And sometimes if I'm being honest, I don't want to do it. It's hard. You think about these ways in which he talks about blessing the poor, caring for the needy, using the resources, being honest. I just think, ah, oh, like resources are tight. I, if I just don't, I'm not going to lie, but if I just don't tell the whole truth or if I just bend it this way, it seems advantageous to me. And the call to be a disciple, to know and to practice the way of Jesus is challenging. And in today's text, it gets harder. So that's the blanket statement. We're going to be in Luke chapter 17, picking up right where we left off. And Jesus is going to teach his disciples, his students, the way of forgiveness. There's some groans in the room. It's like, oh, not this week, not this morning. The conversation I was just in in the car with my spouse. And I know when we gather in these spaces, maybe when you gather with your home groups, small groups, men's groups, women's groups, you kind of want to put this face on. Like you're doing better than you actually are, that your marriage or your family is better than it actually is. And I'm telling you, there's no place for that here. Just, just let that idol die. I know, I know I struggle with that sometimes. I remember going to our life group early on. Kristen and I walk in, and, you know, everyone's smiling and happy. Hey, how are you guys? And Kristen's like, we're not well. We were fighting the whole way over. I'm like, woman, what are you doing? People know I'm a pastor here. Like, oh, you were fighting? Like, no, we weren't fighting. We were having a, a passionate discussion of how I'm right, and she hasn't realized that yet. So I don't know what kind of week you've had. I don't know what scenarios you're in, but Jesus is going to teach us the way of forgiveness. And I don't know immediately where that lands in your life, because we have all been really hurt by other people. And maybe some of the people that have hurt us the most are in the room. Maybe they're not. But I want you to know that the way of forgiveness is the way of freedom. And Jesus is teaching his disciples the way of freedom. So grab your Bibles. We're going to Luke chapter 17. And we're going to pick it up in verse 3. Jesus says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents... Forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. 
And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Interesting teaching from Jesus to his disciples. And there are three things that I think we're going to unpack here. The first is this. Forgiveness for the disciple is a command. Forgiveness is possible. And forgiveness is the mission. Those are three things from this text. That forgiveness is commanded. Forgiveness is possible. Forgiveness is the mission. The way of Jesus. First, that it's commanded. Jesus points this out in the very beginning. He says, pay attention to yourselves. So in, in the conversation of forgiveness, the first and foremost person we, be th- we should be thinking of is not the one who has offended us, but us. He says, pay attention to yourselves. The, the, the way of forgiveness has to do with you, has to do with your freedom, has to do with your betterment. Because if, if we have a spirit of unforgiveness, what it actually does inside of us is it bends us. It warps us. And we can even become somebody or something that we don't want. In fact, it's often said that people who have wounded us are not thinking of us anymore. Though we can't stop thinking about them. I remember several years ago, my mom and I were out in the community. We were doing some service project. And my mom is like a saint. She's five foot one sainthood. Not only because she kept me out of prison... But for so many other reasons with my brothers and my sister, my mom is a saint. And I remember we're serving with her, and this lady comes up. I don't remember her name. We'll just call her Janice or something. And my mom recognizes her from several years ago. She's like, Janice, how are you? I haven't seen you in forever. And the first words off of her mouth were, Susan Milberg, you stood me up for coffee eight years ago. Dang. I just heard my mom was like, what'd you do? That's cold, mom. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. For eight years, has my mom thought about this woman? No. For eight years, has this woman thought about my mom? Pay attention to yourselves in the conversation of forgiveness. Because if you don't practice the way, it can mess you up. And there's my mom who's like, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I spaced the appointment. Can I buy you a cup of coffee this week and we get together and you can catch me up on life? And who knows why my mom missed the appointment? I mean, she's probably taking one of her boys to the emergency room, sewing up their body parts. Who knows? But take care of yourself. Watch out for yourself. Because a spirit of unforgiveness we'll find roots in our hearts, in our attitudes towards others, and bend us, shape us, warp us to become people we may not want to be. So the conversation is for us first and foremost. It's not about them. It's about us. Now, he goes on to say, this is the next part, if your brother sins, or brother or sister, so you're in relationship and community with people, and they wound you, The first thing is rebuke them. That's the word correct. That you would call them out. First part of forgiveness is addressing the hurt. It's not brushing it under the rug. That you actually have to call them out. You have to correct a behavior. And this is becoming increasingly difficult in our society as more and more of our conversations are on digital platforms. 
that we communicate with our friends groups, our communities through digital apps, through texts. And so when someone really hurts us and offends us, we don't correct them. We don't even rebuke them because that would take interpersonal communication in person. See, when we're hurt, it's personal. And in order to be healed, we have to do that in person. And when you're on digital platforms all the time in our communication skills, we lack the ability to do it in person. So what are the three ways in which people respond when they're hurt on digital platforms? Number one, you unfriend them. Number two, you block them. Or number three, you ghost them. You just ignore it. But it doesn't actually change the way in which they've hurt you. The only way to reconcile this relationship is to be in person with them, breathing the same air, eye-to-eye contact. And some people in this room are just like, their palms are getting sweaty. You know, it's like, I can't even take a phone call. All I want is a text. Like, please don't call me. I'll never even answer the phone. Especially, especially for our young folks in the room. This is a lost skill to sit down with someone who has hurt you and to help correct their behavior. To be honest with them and say, this is what you've done, this is what you've said, and my heart has been hurt by you. And give them the opportunity to repent, ask for forgiveness in turn. So the first move is not that you just ignore it, but actually that you would call it out. So if somebody, a brother or sister, hurts you, first thing is rebuke them, correct them. And if they repent, forgive them. That's the Lord's command. If they repent, we talk about repentance all the time. Repentance is simply you're moving in one direction. You've been called out, so you stop moving in that direction. And you turn, and you move in a new direction. And so someone who gets called out, they say, whoa, you know what? I'm just going to own that. I'm not going to excuse it. I'm just going to own it and say, I am so sorry. I'm going to stop this behavior, and I'm going to turn and start a new behavior with you. It says that if someone does that, if you call them out and they stop and they turn, forgive them. Like you should actually let them be forgiven. Now how many times? One time? The three strikes you're out? He says, and if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. You must do this. So seven is a biblical number of completeness, wholeness, finality. So to the uttermost, if they do this. Now, in our minds, we often think of, of how silly this teaching is because we put it in this box. So someone's can come to me and punch me in the face. And they'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. And I forgive them. And they punch me in the face. And I'm sorry. And I forgive them. Is that what this scripture is teaching? No. Would that be an attitude of repentance? Now, perhaps it's not the exact same behavior over and over again, but it's just seven offenses. It's probably more like this if you're in my life. As I wake up early in the morning, and Kristen's like, hey, did you get that milk on the way home from work yesterday? I'm like, oh, I forgot. I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. Did you, oh, did you, did you get the coffee? Oh, I, I forgot the coffee too. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hey, did, did you remember to get the registration stickers? Oh, I didn't do that. I'm sorry. Hey, did you end up talking to that person or printing this? Oh, I didn't. I'm sorry. And I've, I've had to apologize like seven times before 9 a.m. And part of our attitude is usually this. It's like, oh, you're always messing up. And so I'm just going to stop forgiving you. 
And Jesus is saying, no, no, the forgiveness that I'm calling my disciples to is a way in which continues to forgive every time a brother or sister offends us. And they turn and they ask us for forgiveness. Now, what is forgiveness? If we're supposed to extend this, what is this forgiveness that Jesus is asking us to do? Well, let's start with what it's not. First and foremost, forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not forgetting. In the sense of the reason you are who you are, you've been shaped by both positive things in your life and negative things in your life. And really it's impossible to forget all of the wounds in our life because they've made us who we are. And somehow forgetting the wounds is somehow like forgetting who we are. And so it's not possible to simply forget. In fact, one of, the, one of the biggest mistakes is when someone comes to us and they say, we are so sorry. And our response is, oh, it's no big deal. Because forgiveness is also not excusing. See, forgiveness is not excusing. Forgiveness is talking about the correction and rebuke. That's truth-telling. This is what really happened. This is what you've really done. This is how it really felt. And for us to say, oh, it's no big deal. I'll just forget about it. That's not offering someone true forgiveness. And so it's not forgetting because it's, it's shaped who we are. It's not excusing the behavior as though it was okay. Another thing that forgiveness is not is, is not the idea that there's no accountability to it. As though if you forgive someone, they're not going to be held accountable for what they've done. Forgiveness is not leaving someone out so they don't experience the consequences of what they've done. Forgiveness is not incompatible with justice. Oftentimes, we're reluctant to forgive because we think if we, if we let them be forgiven, they get away with it. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is linked up with accountability, with truth-telling, with justice. Forgiveness is something altogether different that maybe we don't really know much about. Forgiveness is the ability to say, yes, this has happened, and we're going to do something different about it. You see, forgiveness is, is interesting. This conversation right here in Luke chapter 17 flows from the conversation Jesus was just having about money. He was talking to the Pharisees who were lovers of money. And he was talking about how to properly use money and be generous with money. And then he moves into forgiveness, and it's like, is there some sort of connection that I'm missing here? And the word forgiveness is, is actually an economic term, a financial term. It's the reduction of debt. And so when we've been wounded, someone is indebted to us. They've done us a wrong. And forgiveness is a way in which we let them off the hook. We, we are giving them a forgiveness. We're washing away their debts. They're indebted to us. And so forgiveness is absolutely in the conversation of how we handle debts. Money on one side and forgiveness on the other. It's how we grow in our generosity financially to somebody and then relationally to others. Those who have hurt us and how we actually reduce the debts to us. And we know that we have a spirit of unforgiveness when we will not let people who are indebted to us off the hook. In fact, we know that we are, have a spirit of unforgiveness when we have ill will towards them. When when something bad happens in their life, we feel a little bit better. If something wrong happens to them, unfortunate happens to them, and because they've hurt us, we think, good, good. 
I hope they pay. What are they paying? A debt. When Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, in part of the Lord's prayer, do you know this? Is Lord, forgive us our what? Debts. As we forgive those who are indebted, right, to us. And so part of forgiveness is the ability to remember for the purpose of reconciliation. Purpose of reconciliation. Here in the text in Luke 17, it says, if someone comes to you in repentance, that you would forgive them. Now, here we might ask a question. So if they don't ask for forgiveness, do I have to give it to them? Well, here in Luke 17, the answer would be, yeah, you, you are supposed to give forgiveness to those who are asking for that forgiveness. But what about people who aren't asking for forgiveness? Do we forgive them? Well, remember that the whole conversation starts with what? Watch yourselves, your own hearts in this. And so whether they're asking for it or not asking for it, it's about the condition of your own heart and soul. And so this isn't the whole picture of Jesus' teaching on forgiveness. This is one of those. And this is talking about how to forgive those who are asking to be forgiven. There's another teaching that Jesus gives. This is Mark chapter 11, verse 25, where he says, okay, you religious people, you come into church and you're praying and you remember that someone has hurt you. Something sparks a memory and you're reminded of a pain or a sorrow in your life. Forgive. That's what Jesus says in Mark 11. Forgive. Without them even asking for forgiveness. Forgive. Why? Because it's about my heart. About my, the condition of my soul that's at stake here. Now, there's actually two sides to this coin, and one's very positive. At first you think, oh, that's terrible news. Why would I have to forgive someone who's not asking for it? But you're not living in someone else's shoes. Who the person that has hurt them has already passed away, and they'll never have the chance to ask for forgiveness. And you're sitting here going, is, that, is, is it even possible to forgive them? Because one of your deepest wounds comes from someone who's already passed. Maybe it was a mom or a dad, a grandfather, a grandmother, a brother, a sister, a friend, that they've hurt you, and they'll never have the chance to repent. Is forgiveness possible for me, you're asking? And Jesus says, yeah, this is possible. What's not possible is this. If someone's not asking for forgiveness, what's not possible is reconciliation. It takes a, someone who comes to you and asks for forgiveness, and you to offer forgiveness to be reconciled. That's very, very important to be remembered. That the, the community is at stake here. See, forgiveness is a theme throughout the whole scriptures. And it's really important to Jesus. Jesus says, okay, you're at church, you're hanging out, you've brought your gifts and offerings, and you remember that somebody has an offense against you. Stop performing your religious activity. Time out. Something more important is at stake, is that relationship. So leave your offering at the table and go and be reconciled with your brother. And then come back to church. And continue your religious activity. Paul's talking to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, okay, I know that there's been some tension in the family. You've hurt each other. But here's the thing. I'm not going to jump into this and hold a grudge against anyone. If you will forgive your brother, just count me in. I'll forgive him too. I just want to be generous with my forgiveness. Lest, this is what Paul says, lest the devil, the enemy of God, divide us. And I'm not ignorant of his schemes. And so just count me in. On forgiveness. Now, we said forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not excusing. Forgiveness is not just giving somebody, getting somebody off the hook. They're not accountable anymore. There's not consequences. There's not justice. But what is forgiveness? Like, what is the process 
of forgiveness. There's a Harvard study today called the, the Human Flourishing Program. And one of the directors of this program, looking at six domains for human flourishing, is a man named Tyler v uh, Vanderweel. And Vanderweel points out that we have a public health issue in America because we don't know what it means to forgive. And the consequence that he's seeing in his practice in the program is that human beings are suffering because of this. We've lost the ability to forgive. And one of the, the simplest definitions he gives of forgiveness is this. Moving from ill will towards someone to goodwill. It's moving from having ill will to the person who has hurt you to thinking of goodwill for them. And we just put that back in our minds. They've hurt us. They're indebted to us. We're actually somewhat happy when bad things happen to them so that they can pay their debts. That's ill will. And in the process of forgiveness, of goodwill, is taking them off our hook of indebtedness and putting them on the hook of God. This is Romans 12. Paul says, do not repay evil for evil. They've wounded you. Don't go back and wound them. Repay no one evil for evil. Do good to them. He says, vengeance is mine, the Lord says. Leave it for me. I will repay. And so you're taking the offender off of your hook to pay you back and saying, you know what? You belong on God's hook, not mine. And you're moving from ill will to goodwill. And then and Vanderwill talks about this in two different dynamics. There's two, pro, two points of the process of forgiveness. The first is decisional, and the second is emotional. The first is decisional, and the second is emotional. We have to decide. Our, heart, our, our minds lead our hearts. Oftentimes, we're reluctant to forgive because we don't feel like it. He says that's not actually the starting point. The starting point is decisional, that I know the freedom that I will experience. And so I make the decision to forgive, and I'll let my heart catch up to me, which means that forgiveness is a process. Someone else has, has talked about these two dynamics as a promise and the process. That you make the promise. You know what? I'm not going to hold this against you. Every time I think about you, I'm not going to it, bring it up. I'm not going to keep this record of wrong and hold it over your head. No, not, that's ill will. But there's a process here. It's a process of a heart that begins to be shaped and refashioned of goodwill towards you. You see, when the person comes and asks for forgiveness... Perhaps you have to do that today. You have to allow the person time to forgive you. There's, there's no reason for us to come in and weaponize our apology against someone. Maybe you've done this before where you come and you're like, okay, I'm sorry. I should have done that. Will you forgive me? And the person says, well, I appreciate you saying sorry. I'm going to need some time. Oh, if you're not going to forgive me, well, I'm not going to apologize. And you've almost weaponized, you, you, you burden them with your apology. Is that true repentance and, and, apology, and apologizing? No, it's not. And so here, Vanderweel is saying, hey, it begins with the mind, it's decisional. It's a promise you're making to somebody. And then it's a process, it's emotional. Your heart will catch up as you practice this over time. Now, that's, I think, a good picture of what forgiveness is, moving from ill will to goodwill. The second part is, is it even possible? You see, the disciples hear Jesus say this. If your brother sins against you and repents and asks for forgiveness, extend it to him. Seven times in the day even. And the disciples look and go, this, this is impossible. And so they ask 
Jesus then, this is verse 5, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. If we're going to be able to do this, this is hard. Then we're going to need more faith to do this. And then Jesus gives this teaching. And this is a teaching that's been hijacked from its context multiple times. Jesus says, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Now what is Jesus after in the conversation of forgiveness with this illustration. Well, there's a man named Fred Craddock, and Fred Craddock, he's a New Testament scholar, writes commentaries, and here on Luke he says, you know, in the Greek there's, there's two if-then clauses. The first is, is negative in the sense of, if this was true of me, which it's not, then I would do this. We, we use this clause all the time. If I were you, then I would. Well, I'm not you. There's a second type of clause that the Greek language uses, which is a true clause. If the sun comes up tomorrow, I will. So if then this being true, I will. And that's what Jesus is using here in this teaching. Is the if then true. Like, if you had faith like a mustard seed, that you do. You have that. Then you could say to this mulberry bush, get up and be cast into the ocean and, and it would obey you. What's the point? The point is not the amount of faith. The point is the object of faith. It doesn't matter if you have a small amount of faith or a large amount of faith. It's the object in which you have deposited your faith. And so here's an oldie but a goodie example. Take this stool, put it there, and you say, have a seat. And someone who doesn't think this stool will uphold them might have really small faith. They say, I, I, that's not going to uphold me. It's got four skinny legs. Look at me. I'm a... I'm a Average sized male, this is not going to uphold my body. And like, well, sit down, like, I, I don't know. I just, I just, I'm just not really sure. I don't really believe it's going to. I'll put my hand on it for a minute. Okay. And then you kind of like get, get one leg up and your eyes are closed. Ah! And it holds you. That's great. As well as someone who has a lot of faith and say, hey, have a seat. And without even thinking, it's like, yeah, you bet. And it upholds you. And so it doesn't matter if you have a small amount of faith or a large amount of faith. It's the object you're putting your faith in. And Jesus is saying, if you have just the smallest seed amount of faith in me, which you do, you can do what's impossible. Now, what's impossible? Moving a mulberry bush and throwing it in the sea? Or removing roots of bitterness in your heart and uprooting them from your life? That's what Jesus is saying. So the disciples look at it and go, that's... That's not possible. And Jesus says, if you have faith, which you do, it's true living faith. It might be really small, but the object of your faith is me. And if you would let me do my work through you, the impossible of uprooting trees of bitterness, of revenge, of anger, would be cast out of your life into the sea. And so the object of our faith is Jesus. Jesus makes it possible. Now remember, Jesus gives this teaching in a context. It's not like the disciples go to Jesus in some remote village at a monastery. He's like a desert father, and he says, forgive one another. And you're like, oh, who, what does this guy know? He doesn't, he doesn't live in the life, the real world that I live in. He doesn't work where I work. He's not married to who I'm married to. Give me a break. No, Jesus gives this teaching in a context we pick it up in verse 11 of 17. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. 
You see, Jesus gives the teaching of forgiveness as he's moving towards Jerusalem, which is the mission of forgiveness. You see, all the way back in chapter 9, where this whole thing has shifted to the, the progress towards Jerusalem, he told his disciples, in chapter 9, verse 22, again in 9.44, we'll see it again in chapter 18, I tell you disciples, here's the mission, I'm going to Jerusalem, and there the religious leaders are going to hand me over, are going to crucify me, I'm going to be put to death, buried for three days, and then I'm going to rise again, because I'm in the mission of forgiveness, I'm going to the cross to forgive the sins of the world to pay their debts. This is why forgiveness and justice go hand in hand. What we see on the cross is the mercy and justice of God poured out for us. Poured out onto Jesus that we're the beneficiaries of. And so here's Jesus on the cross. He's on the cross. He's been hung up there. He's been tried. Pilate himself's like, I don't find any fault in Jesus. This is an innocent man. I have no idea. Why do you want to crucify him? And they're like, crucify him. Put him away. They crucify Jesus. Soldiers strip him, beat him, rob him of all his stuff. They're like rolling dice at the foot of the cross to steal his garments. They're spitting on him, mocking up, mocking him. If you're really the king, if you're really the Messiah, come on down. Jesus knows if I get off the cross, the mission fails. I'm here to pay the debts. And what does Jesus say on the cross to all of those who are sinning against him? This is Luke chapter 23, verse 34. He says, Father, forgive them. The mission is forgiveness. That's why I'm going to Jerusalem. Disciples, I, I know how hard it's going to be. Follow the way of your teacher. I'm going to show you the way forward. It's through the cross. Your forgiveness to your brothers and sisters will come through the forgiveness you receive from me. So he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. That's Jesus' heart towards you. It's a heart of forgiveness for you. In fact, it's been said, it's, it's, really, it's really impossible to forgive unless you know you've been forgiven first. It's, it's really hard to forgive someone else's debt unless you come to understand that your debt was first and foremost forgiven. And then I, then I think as a disciple, why would I withhold something that my Savior wants to give? Who am I to keep someone in debt when Jesus has forgiven them? There's another philosopher, teacher, theologian. He teaches at Yale. His name is Miroslav Volf. He does some fascinating work on forgiveness. That comes from his real-life context as a Croatian. He grew up in Croatia, and he experienced the Croatian-Serbian war in the early 90s and he just looked at it and said is it possible for this this vengeance ever to end like they come in they burn our village and they kill our families so then we go into theirs and we burn their village and we kill their families and then they come back and they burn our village and kill our family is it possible for it to stop is it possible to forgive and Volf says it's the power of the cross the only way to do it is is through the cross to first recognize that you have been forgiven. That vengeance is the Lord's. To offer forgiveness to somebody else. He puts it in this way. The heart of unforgiveness is really doing something to your fellow man. It says, you take the perpetrator 
and you're trying to excuse them from the community of being human. And then you take yourself and you try to excuse yourself from the community of sinners. You take the purpose of the person who's hurt you and you excuse them from just being human. Say, what kind of person would do this? What kind of mind? What kind of person is thinking this way? And you just try to excuse them, dismiss them from being human like you are. And then you excuse yourself from the community of sinners as though you are faultless. And Paul says you can't do either. You have to remember that the kind of person that would do this is you. Is me. I'm the kind of person that could do something like this. And by the only, the only means I know is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to forgive me and to forgive them. So what's the principle here for us as disciples? Does forgiveness happen in a moment? Like, do you just leave this room and you're like, I'm done. That's great. No, it's a process. But here's the posture. Here's the difference. Is many people say, don't tell me to forgive. It's too hard. And the disciple says, teach me how to forgive. It's too hard. Like, I can't do it. Jesus, you have to teach me how to do this so that I can experience more and more of the freedom that you have purchased for me at Calvary. And so can I just pray with you here to conclude? And then we're going to sing just of the greatness of God and his work on the cross. Here's a prayer of forgiveness. Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Father, help us to forgive like you have forgiven us. And so, Father, I pray for my friends in this room that have been hurt and wounded by husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, co-workers and friends, those who have been hurt by strangers. Father, teach us, teach us the power of forgiveness. Father, I pray that we as a community of believers would be a witnessing community to the world of the power of Jesus Christ in our own lives. And Lord, I, I pray specifically for my friends in this room who seem to have the greatest wounds where they blame you. That they fault you for something you didn't do or they wanted you to do. Father, I pray that you would just care for them, that you'd reveal yourself to them, that you would show them your presence in their life. Father, teach us to be students of the way of forgiveness. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.